0: Oh, it's not like it used to be. <laughs> G'day and welcome to the Anarchist History of New Zealand podcast. This is the history of New Zealand for a libertarian anarchist lens, specifically that of Rick Giles. Please enjoy the ideas and let me know what you think. In this episode, we go to 1988 to learn about the government's design for taking over early childcare. following extracts come from a 2017 interview with a chief architect of the Early Childhood Reforms, Margaret Mead. Mead mentions the report she co-wrote with Prime Minister David Lange called Education to be More, also her wider responsibility as advisor when appointed to the Prime Minister's department. There's an interesting insight here about how politicians use staffers to seem greater men than they really are. Many voters over the years tell stories to one another about how Prime Ministers and other politicians amazingly remembered their names, and where they worked and even how many children they had. They think the politicians must really remember and care about them. They feel connected with, and they not only vote for that person, but the interaction becomes a viral meme spreading to others. Richard said and asked about my wife, Winston Peters bought me a beer. Of course, the politicians don't really know or care about us, but they know this behaviour leads to success. So, how do they do it? Easy. They have someone on staff, whispering in their ear, telling them who the strangers are, and pumping them with enough information so as to disguise the politicians' ignorance and make it look like they're really on top of their subject. Of course, acting talent is also required to sell it. Mead was recruited to whisper in the prime minister's ear when he had to be in a room with educationalists, an experience she describes here as surreal.
1: That's yeah. what they wanted. They wanted yeah. somebody who had knowledge of all mm-hmm. sectors, which was blimmin' scary at times. You know, you start off, head off, get into the prime minister's car to head off to some meeting where he's got to meet and greet and talk with people, and then would, tell tell me about, brief me about so and so, and you go. I probably don't know very much more than you do, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's quite, quite scary at times. It, kept, it was real surreal. I had I had the whole, to begin with. I had the whole education sector as my area to cover. I did far more than most people realise. Well, I was probably spending the majority of my time on the general than I was on education. To be more probably. I mean, it was huge. Was sort of number of different things and um, people. Which, which hat was I wearing? I don't know. I mean, you know, I needed to go and talk to quite senior people in DSW, um, health, other SSC at times.
0: Anyway, enough of that. It's time to dig into what Labor 4.0 had in mind for early childhood education when they came to power in nineteen eighty seven. In 1987, Labour 4.0 Prime Minister David Lange gave himself the education portfolio shortly after winning re-election that year. The Ministry of Education was the only department not to prepare a briefing for an incoming new minister in accord with the protocol of assuming an election might mean a change of executive government. In the new year, Longy set out to investigate his education bureaucracy in person and found nobody had turned up for work at all. It was January. They later explained, and as school teachers, they had become accustomed to long holidays. That included the month of January, so they simply left their building to the tumbleweeds. Such is Longy's story about the education civil service as he inherited it. As much as any libertarian would consider an inept or hands-off public service a second-best solution to none at all, Longy, unfortunately, set about a major tune-up. His Tomorrow's Schools reforms brought the nation's over-five-years-old pupils under his capture, but he also did the same for Early Childhood Care and Education, ECCE. For this... Longy picked out Anne Mead, who co-authored with him, The Mead Report, 1988. Or, Education to be More, report of the Early Childhood Care and Education Working Group. Before Longy unleashed Mead, the ECCE was glorious anarchy. Apart, that is, from the mishmash of government involved at various levels, and in particular taxpayer contributions to various organisations. Of these, the report counted some 2,700 ECCE centres that took government money in various forms. The state very much had its foot in the door of ECCE and had all sorts of strings attached to the nation's toddlers via their various kindergartens and playgroups. Longy set about playing neoliberal music on those strings and Mead was his piano tuner.
2: Early in 1988, I went unannounced one lunchtime to see my departmental chiefs at the old wooden building over the road from the Beehive. As far as I could tell, the building was abandoned. I went back to my office, an apologetic deputation of senior management arrived. They said that as former teachers they were not used to working during January. Longy, e, 2005. And Mead joined the advisory group. She was a distinguished educator whose work was critical not only in the emergency of the new school administration but also in the reshaping of the early childhood sector. Ibid.
0: Education to be more. Without an enriching and empowering environment for our children and their parents' society is impoverished and we all suffer, wrote Mead. According to her philosophy of life, ECCE, was the key to making children, families, far now, and society, quote, more than what they are now, unquote. What was wrong with who we, quote, were now, unquote, in 1989, and what Meade wanted, quote, more of was obscured behind various catch cries. Implement the Treaty of Waitangi, improve social and economic status of women, safeguard basic human rights, recognise Pacific Islanders' needs and traditions, etc, etc. To Mead, with her grounding in developmental psychology, the way to make a new New Zealand was to start with the young. The Mead Report's ambition was no less than social engineering to build a new New Zealand. As such, she was following in the footsteps of many who had come before her, such as Kendall, Williams, Van Ash, King, and Beebe. Mead was axiomatically a statist, writing of ECC services that they were so important that quote, public funding for them is essential, unquote. As if something being important automatically required government control. Despite the headings and bullet points being obscure catch calls, The subtext of the mead report is full of what this woman really meant the true subheadings to be plucked out were big brother must control early childhood parenting is a myth it takes a village to raise a child big brother in control much of the report was an organization chart for how ecce would be captured by government using charters and boards of trustees and government funding, etc. Then, there was the odd reminder that ECCE was in, quote, crisis, unquote, which was a spike to the amygdala to make it hard for down-regulated people to read the report at all. But the major theme was that government, not free people, had to control and pay for what was, quote, important. Mead wrote that, quote, at a basic level a major benefit from early care and education is the preservation and passing on of our culture, unquote. She saw it as government's role to preserve and transmit our culture as if free people had not and could not do such a thing without paying tax and being regulated from Wellington. Meade said that the Ministry of Education quote should have prime responsibility for the administration of early childhood services unquote rather than long standing institutions or communities or parent groups like the PICO report published recently before this this was tomorrow's schools but for tiny tots it's interesting sometimes in New Zealand history how a controversial and risky measure that we supposedly all need is initially rolled out on the population exempting younger New Zealanders. Once the measure is firmly established, our government then lowers the age group it applies to, as if doing so in the first place might have triggered immediate rebellion. Like Picot, Meade had a genius plan to wrest control from voluntary organizations and vest it into the state hands under a guise of democracy. Observationally, schools would be made the property and placed under the control of the parents and community members who used them. However, like Soviet era collective farms taken from their owners and given to the public, the end result was always to make government the true master it was an essential first step in control to first take early childhood care away from the owners and managers and a second step to provoke or allow that reorganisation to fail and then thirdly, for government to, quote, save democracy by swooping in as the new boss. As in George Orwell's Animal Farm, 1945, a corrupt, quote, democratic System can be relied upon to degenerate into conflict, division, and many dictators. A private school's values, success, learning environment, unique diversity, discrimination, judgment, choice of client, and traditions were an anathema to Mead Longy. Writing, quote, The discrimination elements of the current system will be removed. In the past, government paid no attention to equity of access to resources, our funding proposals will both introduce and maintain this equity of access. Unquote. The authors intended to socialize successful ECCE and hand it over to the proletariat. Such neo-Marxism didn't end there because the report also used the now old critical theory trick of propounding one Marxist ideal while calling it the opposite. Under the heading of Enhancing the Family Unit, the report promoted breaking up the family unit. Quote, Our proposals are firmly based on family support principles. The system will assist families to meet their responsibilities for providing early childhood care and education. Unquote. Uh, In other words, Labour 4.0's idea of enhanced family support was forcing, supporting, assisting, parents to hand over control of their kids to Big Brother and do as they are told, take responsibility. It is taken as written that families are all responsible for implementing Mead's R-Selected Engineering project, so the only possible concept of family support is to support family obedience role
2: why should the government be involved it would not be reasonable to expect most families to acquire all the knowledge and skills necessary to provide a complete range of services nor would it be reasonable to expect each family to bear the full cost we believe that the interrelated nature of the key benefits of early childhood care and education necessitate the government's presence as an administering and monitoring authority as provider of training and as a major source of funding. Mead.
0: Who needs arguments when you can just say we believe and deploy adjectives like reasonable and nature on your side? Parenting is a myth? Mead's primary target in section three of the report states quote myth number one that it is bad for the child to be separated from the mother unquote. on the contrary it was better to return new zealand to the wholesale communal rearing normal to the baby boomers or the spartans of old generation x kids had started forming attachments to their own parents through eye contact attending behavior and even skin on skin between baby and mother this was a marked contrast to the wheelbarrows full of babies isolated from their parents in government maternity hospitals that Longy and Mead had grown with. They sought to switch the pendulum back so that millennials could grow up as are selected. Forget parent focus, Mead said, quality bonds must come from, quote, a number of people, unquote, and many bonds are better than a single bond. This genesis of collectivism, is the making of maori and pacific island cultures and some of those cultures she says don't even have a special word for mother at all rather than bring the stone age primitivism into the age of civilization and individual rights the idea of mead was to turn the clock backwards for new zealanders by breaking that parent-child attachment bond in the earliest years
2: Certainly not how our colonial forebears cared for their babies, and not what we do now either. We know better, most of us, but for a span of years, see, 1920s to 1970s, New Zealander newborn babies were kept away from their mothers in separate nurseries in hospitals. 1907, Plunkett, AHNZ. There have been a number of myths based on the view that a woman's place is in the home and that it is vital for a mother to be with her children, fell on welcoming ears after the Second World War, Mead Longy.
0: The authors dismiss parental attachment in favor of tribal attachment, saying that the idea that a child should not be separated from its mother was based on, quote, inappropriate evidence, unquote, from the 1940s, and based on, quote, Understaffed and understimulating orphanages in Britain. Unquote. These errors, they said, were welcomed because the war generation had a sexist agenda to keep women in the home and also sought to reserve paid employment for males. It takes a village. Quote Early childhood services are a modern invention to replace the previous extended family. Unquote, the Mead Report told New Zealand. Grandparents, uncles, friends, neighbours, etc., were not being complemented or recognised or capitalised. They were being replaced, according to this carefully crafted paragraph. In myth number three, we are informed that replacing the family and removing key responsibility for child rearing does not at all contribute to the breakdown of families. By what logic can that be so? When is literally, quote, replacing families not the same as a breakdown of families? Mead has a two-pronged Orwellian argument. One is to redefine a family out of existence so that it means anything or nothing. In the 2020s, a similar government, Labor 6.0, started using the Maori word whānau rather than family all to the same purpose. The second prom was rank name-calling. Anyone who says replacing the family is breaking down the family, well, they're a myth-peddler, or what we would today call a conspiracy theorist. Children, the report states, who receive their socialization from parents rather than their peers, are disadvantaged. One of the stated benefits of substituting ECCE for the family is, quote, stronger family units because the family has found some extended family substitutes which can provide support and guidance this is an incredible statement showing poor reasoning skills in the author or sophistry and our 1980s ancestors mead literally here came out and said that a family is a stronger unit because it is replaced This is akin to saying that a healthy arm or leg is better if amputated and replaced by a prosthetic government-issue part. Or, it is like a political party saying that agreeing with the Labour government is what makes people strong. What happened to New Zealand after this report? Labour 4.0 rolled out a new legislative framework to match under the specious academic cover that the report provided early childhood was captured more by the state, year upon year. The millennials grew up in a different environment and their parents, though wishing to connect and transmit their culture personally, were marginalised and replaced. By the 2010s, the millennials were hurting because real life was not like their daycare centres. By the 2020s, the now adult millennials gained pain relief because they had made real life resemble their daycare centres grandparents were canceled and replaced the social capital of our people started going through the floor single mothers turned the state into their substitute husbands and substitute parents of their children and wrote articles such as quote it's never better quote it's never been a better time to be a single woman
2: The New Zealand family is changing rapidly as kids grow up today who never experienced an intact family and go on to reproduce what they patterned on too. 2000s, History, The New Zealand Nuclear Family, AHNZ
0: New Zealanders came to have a reduced authentic contact with their own culture and identity. That was the whole idea and a major benefit of replacing New Zealanders place in their own lives with a social program. Quote, at a basic level, a major benefit from early care and education is the preservation and passing on of our culture. It could be claimed that this cultural embedding could occur by other means, but the research evidence we have drawn upon in this section demonstrates conclusively that good early childhood care and education improves the efficiency and effectiveness of this process. Unquote. Preserving And transmitting New Zealand culture is supposed to be the role of living, acting, choosing individuals. It's a project our ancestors set out on in the mid-19th century or earlier, and one we have been working on ever since with various steps forward and back. The state deprives us of this development by offering to take it over from us. It's almost unbelievable that anyone would accept giving up living their life and their family, and their children, and their autonomous destiny to bureaucratic departments. Yet, we did, and for no other higher ideals in 1988 than the catch calls such as efficiency and effectiveness. that's the end of this episode of the Anarchist History of New Zealand podcast. Thanks for listening. Please let me know what you thought and visit the AHNZ website. We've now reached episode 10 and the end of 2022. I'm going to stop podcasting. The idea of making AHNZ a podcast is that perhaps people interested in history and freedom are less text-based and more oral-based these days. There are lots of posts on the AHNZ website for readers, but if you find value in hearing our history as podcast shows, then make sure you let me know and I'll make some more next year. The idea of the AHNZ project is that liberty and freedom in New Zealand would benefit from a healthy distrust in government. The best way to promote that is simply to tell the truth about our history.